This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Hey everyone, this is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing, my chance to talk with artists, policymakers, and performers. To hear their stories, what inspires their creations, what decisions changed their careers, what relationships influenced their work. I spoke with Elliot Gould in front of a live audience at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival this past April. Before our conversation, we watched a clip reel of his films, which included M.A.S.H., Bob and Carol, and Ted and Alice, and The Long Goodbye, some of the most iconic films of the past 40 years. Elliot Gould's career spans six decades, and unlike many of his peers, he's worked consistently from the start. Both his career and personal life are full of dramatic twists and turns. A marriage to Barbara Streisand, working with Cary Grant and George Clooney, a gambling addiction, a role on the sitcom Friends. There's almost too much to talk about. Where the hell do I begin? (laughs) My God. Now, you started in the theater in New York. I started in a sort of vaudeville. Uh Uh-huh. I played the palace in uh, 1951 when I was 12. Doing what? Part of somebody's act. uh, I was a a messenger boy in the act. Bill Callahan, his name was. uh, But I followed Smith and Dale. Smith and Dale was the act before us. They were the original Sunshine Boys. Uh We did uh, four shows a day, seven days a week for two weeks. I got paid 50 bucks a week, and I had the highest dressing room. Right, like the fifth floor walk-up dressing room. Yeah. Yeah. Now, when, when you were doing that, you, no showbiz in your family, correct? No one well, was... that's pretty, pretty funny. I think ev- everybody here is in show business. <laughs> but your parents, no. Um, they were performers. They danced. My father was a good dancer. He did a Lindy. My mother and I used to, uh, at my uh, <sighs> bar mitzvah, uh, my mother and I uh, tangoed to I Get Ideas. No, 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 that's the truth. It's pretty funny. My mother could put a chicken in the oven, doesn't make her a chef. You know what I mean? It's like, I just... <laughs> but your, your family wasn't in the business. They weren't in show business. No. 
And when you, were, when you finished, uh, uh, not finished, but when you moved on from vaudeville, what was your first Broadway or off-Broadway show you did? Was it, I, I can get it for you wholesale, was your first? No, 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 no. I, I got a job in a summer stock production of Annie Get Your Gun uh, with uh, Vaughn Monroe. Do you remember the name? Yes. And, uh, but we were going to be at a place, a tent, called Brandywine, someplace uh, in, on this coast. And uh, there was a storm and it blew away, so I never got to, be, to do the show. <laughs> and then I, I, I got a job for a segment of the Ernie Kovac show with 50 other male dancers. I was primarily a dancer. And um, Ernie Kovacs was great. And then my first Broadway musical was called Rumple which was directed by Jack Donahue and starred Eddie Foy Jr., Gretchen Weiler, and Stephen Douglas. So singing and dancing was primary for you in the beginning? Yeah. And then later on, did you come back and revisit that and other projects you've done? I mean, other than... I never really had an act. We would go to the uh, Catskill Mountains as paying customers, and on Sunday nights, uh, they would have me uh, do what I did on Saturday night. I'd do uh, a couple of routines, you know. But in films, you never sat there and said, I'd like to do a musical during your... You know, there in, had in, been in talk of it, I never did, but uh, Jimmy Kahn and I did a picture called Harry and Walter Go to New York, right. and we, we, we did a whole number in the beginning, which was written by Marilyn and Alan Bergman, which is Nobody's Perfect. The... Um, uh I can get it for you wholesale. Obviously, you meet your first wife uh, then. Well, my first well, girlfriend. First girl, oh, your first girlfriend. Yeah. Please tell us all about that. <laughs> tell us all about that. No, oh, but you met, she was your first girlfriend. Well, for, we had to cast the role that I played. Once they cast this part, then they had all the finalists come in to audition, and with me being there for them to see how I felt about them. And Barbara auditioned uh, for my uh, uh, secretary called Miss Marmelstein, beyond brilliant, just so amazing. And she sang three or four songs, and then her song, and Jerome uh, Weidman, who had written the book, and it had been a picture, a movie, before we did the musical, and Susan Hayward played uh, my part. And Dan Daly was in it, too. And Jerome Weidman said to me, uh, what do you think? I said, she's brilliant. And she presents herself sort of like the way I think about myself. She's scared, and she's hiding behind things. And uh, I called her, because she announced her number. And, and then uh, she said, I'm singing tonight. Come and see me. I said, I think you're going to be in the show. And once you're in the show, we can see if we get to know one another. Is that when she really, really took off during that time? No, oh no, no. She, she, you, you would say that she stole the show. It was the best thing in the show. Right. Uh, and and then she. This was just prior to her first album, and she had done a Jack Parr show and she'd done a few talk shows, right. and uh, her career is, as we all know, amazing. And she's uh, just one of a kind yeah. and brilliant. Yeah. yeah, she certainly is. Uh, your first film, you tell me, was with Dieterle, was with William Dieterle. Yes. Your first film. Describe that film. What was the film? The film at the time was called The Confession, and uh, it was going to be shot on uh, the island of Jamaica at the same time that Dr. No was being done, and also uh, uh, High Wind in Jamaica that uh, uh, Alexander McKendrick did with Anthony Quinn. 
And uh, I went in, and they asked me to play a part called Alessandra, who was a deaf mute. And uh, the picture was starring uh, Ginger Rogers, my first star, and, uh, and Ray Milland. And William Dieterle was directing it. And I was a deaf mute. And at the end of the picture, I get shocked into <laughs> saying and hearing. <laughs> I wonder. What was it like for you to go from vaudeville and theater in New York and to do your first film. When you were making your first film, did you say to yourself, oh, this is it? Because I, as you and I both oh, know, there are people who no. come on and they're like, to them, they were born on a sound stage in Hollywood. And no, no, it know. took me three films to find the camera. Uh, the fir first film, and I know you understand this, was William Dieterle, who had directed Charles Lawton as The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Beautiful film. And Paul Muni as uh, a bunch of stuff that he did. And um, he was calling me Nugent. Nugent. There was an Elliot Nugent. So in his mind, I was Elliot Nugent. Doesn't matter to me. I, I don't care who anyone is, you know. And, I might uh, call you Nugent. Call me anything. <laughs> I'll give you a better name than that. <laughs> so so you, you really kept calling you Nugent. And when, and when you were there, was it, did you sit there and say, oh, I don't have it. I don't know if I have what it takes to make films. or No, no. Films? I mean, I had no experience. I remember one uh, Sunday, there was an Actors Fund uh, benefit of Hamlet with uh, 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 Richard Burton, and I wanted to see it. And Barbara was here in New York, and I, want, and I came back, which was more than naughty and not supposed to leave. I left the island to come to see that, and I got back, and Ginger Rogers and her husband said, no, no, that's no. I said, oh, okay. I really wanted to see it, you know, and I had a really good tan. I wanted yeah. probably to see my tan also, yeah. Uh, but in the scene where my character is shocked because everyone's looking for treasure and the treasure is in, inside of a statue, nobody, and, and it sort of falls. And, and so I'm shocked into, and I didn't know what to do. And I went to see Dieterle uh, uh, there with about 5.30 uh, in the late afternoon, early evening, and I said, do you have a thought for me or what to do? And, and he said, when I directed Lawton in Hunchback of Notre Dame, he went, <laughs> and then he went, <laughs> and his wife, who was always there, and she said, he's sleeping now. I think you so I, the next day I did it, and I blew myself out in, in the rehearsal because I, I was more than insecure. I mean, I, I, you know, <gasps> I took a deep breath, but you've got to do it over and over and over again. So on a Richter scale, in the first picture, I was a zero. I wasn't below it or I wasn't above it. I just did it and got through it. I remember, because I remember the same thing I did a TV show years ago. You don't want to be caught with your pants down energy-wise. I don't want to be dull. So I would over-invest and mellow-dramatize things I did. I did a TV show, and the character, uh, a woman was a benefactress of a medical center, and she was going to withdraw her funding of the medical center because she didn't appreciate some of the work we were doing. And I have a scene with her where I confront her. And when they rolled the camera, I was like, you know, you don't understand. Yeah, this place, this place, I don't want to be. And I'm like, I'm sobbing. And the director's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. We got, another, we got another 40 minutes to go here. I mean, but in things I've read, 
about uh, whether you said this yourself or not, or what was said about you, was that working with Altman was a big uh, uh, seminal thing for you, that he helped you to open up. He gave me so much space. I mean, prior to working with uh, Bob, uh, I had uh, made a second film uh, that Billy Friedkin did, The Night They Raided Minsky's, and I played the last scene that Bert Lahr ever did. And uh, now that I have an idea of how to breathe from the first film, now I'm playing the title role in The Night They Raided Minsky's, but I had no idea about light or, or camera. And Bert Lahr, this is his, his last scene, because he didn't finish the picture, he passed away. Mm. And I would be taking a position and putting his uh, shadow on me. And, and he would be adjusting and we'd be moving, but the camera had to be stationary. And we did it over and over and over again. And, and Bert Lahr brought me home that night. He had an apartment on Park Avenue and he said to his wife, look what I brought with me. Uh, that was Bert Lahr. Third film, Paul Mazursky's first film, then, uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, I discovered my first objective relationship in life and existence with the camera. So I realized that uh, the camera doesn't give me problems, I give me problems. The camera will never lie to me and will never manipulate me. So we were all set up. We had, oh, as many people as are in the room, and then we had to break for union regulations. I think we're both unionists, but we had to break. And so I had no place to go as usual, and they turned the lights down, they left the, the set there, and I just sat there, and that's when I, I got it. That's when I got it. So it was when I went to, back to New York to start to do a show, play, that Alan Schneider, who had directed the original Virginia Woolf, they replaced him, and then they replaced me. But I had found my, uh, my relationship with the camera. And, and so I came out to Los Angeles and was asked to meet Bob Altman. And Bob Altman uh, gave me the script to mash. And he uh, asked me to read it, and I came in, and he said, would you consider playing the American Southerner? I said, I've never questioned an offer, but uh, I'll be so intense and, and drive myself crazy validating me as an American Southerner. Uh, but this guy, if you haven't cast Trapper John, I got the juice for that. I, I, know, I know what that guy has, and he, he it's like he let me cast myself. And when you do Bob and Carol, what was that film like for you to shoot? Bob and Carol? Yes. How was Mazursky as a director? Great. Uh, I was uh, incredibly insecure and frightened about the, uh, the sexual part of it. So I really didn't have very much confidence. But then uh, Larry Tucker and Paul Mazursky, they were partners, they wrote it, and they had improvised the bedroom scene, the scene with uh, Diane Cannon and me, and I it was funny. It was just so, so right, so I, I, I was able to do that. And with Mazursky, the thing in there when he goes, ah, I don't know what to do, that was, that was for real. I asked him if I could do that. He said, do anything that, that you want. It's funny, when you do sex scenes in films, you had an issue with doing, you didn't feel confident why. Well, how? Well, we didn't really do anything even right. when we were in bed. Right. Any, even anything. the idea where I, I have, uh, I'm prepping, brushing my teeth, gargling, you know, and uh, putting deodorant on. I mean, a, a lot of us are like that. Weren't you? <clears throat> sure, yeah, I was. <laughs> I was so nervous, every time I'm nervous. Um, but, the, uh, but what I'm saying is you say you lacked confidence and then... Uh, 
I lacked confidence in me, and I had very little uh, experience. And therefore, at that point, to uh, exhibit or be as, as transparent as I am, I have a lot of experience now in the work, you know, sure. in life. Uh, so I, I understand. I'm, I'm uh, uh, in, in balance. So, but, but for me, when I look at I me, mean, I mean, the clip reel, obviously, just as a, as a guide to this, is eventually you become someone who's supremely confident in front of the camera. You know, you really you have a great... With the... Com- yeah, well, I've worked for directors. Right. Well, no, it's more than... Matu- it's maturing. I mean, even after uh, working with Ingmar Bergman, which was like, uh, you know, beyond, uh, you know, I, to work... This is a business, and uh, it's a business that's uh, driven by the audience... And, and you know this. I didn't always know it. Uh, you know who Jerry West is, right? Mm-hmm. So I said to, we're friendly. And I said, I always thought it was about talent, but now I believe it's about character. You can be born with talent, but a character is something that we have to develop through experience, through education. And uh, he educated me in a moment, Jerry did, because on this level, you have to be talented. But I mean, ca- uh, nobody can teach you character. You, you have to have character, you have to know. I, and I didn't have perspective and I didn't have judgment. And so I had to put myself through a lot of stuff, but I, I never gave in and never gave up. But still, you gotta be employed. In order to gain this experience, you gotta work. I mean, I, I, the older I get and the more I have done this, the more technical it becomes for me. You either you have the inspiration or you don't. Well, that's nature. What I've recently discovered is that what's true and what's real is not necessarily the same. And to me, I can only talk for myself, what's true is what you feel. Nature is true. What's real, sometimes we invent what's real. And I have found that the corporate intelligence will build on that and it can be misleading to us as far as being alive in in everything we do. Sometimes we have to be technical. I've done some work where I said it's very difficult for me not to be natural. So let me make my mistakes. I'll, I'll make several mistakes over and over again until I can master that and do it because being dependable and being reliable is the basis of, of, of the work. I, I found that uh, the, uh, you know, for me, the longer and longer I've done it in my life, the thing I've fantasized about is to have worked with great directors and you worked with a lot of great directors. What do you think Altman hired you for? What, what did he see in you? We're going to be out of time very soon. No, 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 no. Uh, it's uh, possibly an energy, an, an energy which was necessary because, I mean, we, that was the first of quite a few opportunities that we had to work together. So I don't quite know what Bob necessarily saw in me, uh, but I was able to get past myself and express myself and free myself to do what he was doing. I'd never worked like that before. I I was a chorus boy, a tap dancer, a a real good tap dancer. And so I said, I understand repetition and I understand precision and we'll do it until you're satisfied. Robert Altman, he published me first uh, as his enemy 
because I, I was uh, always wanting things to be prepared and to know what the next, but in life you don't know what's next. And I've seen and, and learned through Bob that his work, that Altman's work, uh, was, is about life taking its course, which to me is the most interesting thing. Altman said that I was uh, the most uh, uh, honest actor that he, that he knew. Nick, Nichols said that about, uh, about Nicholson. I said, why did you love Nicholson? He said, because he had no vanity. You know, when he, when he let himself go and he was uh, kind of uh, a little rounder and he did terms of endearment and he lays on the bed and pats the bed for Shirley MacLaine says, come on up here, come on up here. We're but, friendly, Jackie. I like to call him Jackie, you know. Oh, do you really? Yeah, Jackie. Yeah, I want to call you uh, A.B. A.B.? Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Oh, great. I love it. The, well, Nicholson, uh, we talk about directors. I did this little survey of, for HBO about Cannes. We interviewed Polanski. And later on, I saw Nicholson, and I couldn't help but ask him, you know, what was it like to do Chinatown? What was it like to be directed by Polanski? And Nicholson said that to be on the set with Houston and Polanski... So Houston is in the, uh, one of the greatest directors of all time, is acting in the film, and Polanski's there. Nicholson said that Houston called him Roman. <laughs> he called him Roman. And he said he turned to him and said, now, Roman. said, there are really only two directions, a little more and a little less. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God. Well, it seemed to have served him pretty well, you know what I mean? Was a lot of, for people who don't know, because when you see MASH, I mean, the two of you are so Oh, Donald was such, you know, he was cast before me. And uh, Bob Altman asked me to have lunch with him once we set me uh, in the commissary at Fox, and it was just me and Donald at lunch. And my first sense was I didn't think he liked me. I thought, whatever, you know, but we, we got along great, and we, we stayed together, Donald and me, Bob and everyone. I wouldn't look at any film. I wouldn't look at any dailies. I don't want to fall in love with anything. It's, it's just work and getting it, yeah. And we, we, did, we did three films together, Donald. Was, it, was, was MASH, because of that alive quality, that immediacy to it that I see whenever I see that film, is it a lot of, was a lot of improvisation, or was it all written down, or most of it written down? Well, when we showed Ring Lardner Jr. Uh, uh, the film uh, uh, at Fox with the cast there, and uh, I probably, I may have already seen it, and I was showing Donald how to play against the wall, like with a Spalding, like, you know, a street game with a ball and pretend to be baseball. And that was the night that uh, Lou Alcindor was playing against Will Chamberlain. And, and the picture had been shown, and we were there on the back lot, and Ring Lardner walked up to me, and I thought, gee, wh what are you talking to me? It's not my picture. And uh, he said, you, you, you know, how could you do this to me? Uh, not, there's not a word that I wrote on screen. And uh, uh, Ring Lardner went on to win the Academy Award that year for the best screen. <laughs> Take that, Ring Lardner. <laughs> now, when he asked you to come do uh, The Marlowe was after MASH. The director who we thought was going to do it, another director couldn't see me in it. And, and was thinking in terms of uh, Lee Marvin, the great Lee Marvin, and Robert Mitchum, 
the great Robert Mitchum. And I said, well, I mean, I can't argue with them. They're like my uncles, but we've seen them. You haven't seen me. But, uh, and then they gave it to Bob. And Bob called me from Ireland where he was finishing images. And he said to me, what do you think? And I said, I've always wanted to play this guy. And Bob said, you are this guy. And that was the beginning of the picture. What, would, what was the specific challenge for you to do that film? Because like a lot of people will say to you, if you're reprising a role that other people have their fingerprints on, I did Streetcar on Broadway, and people were always like, well, what about, you know, ahem, you know, and I was like, okay, if you want to see the show live on Broadway tonight, I'm it. He's not here right now. Yeah, right, right. He's, he's up on Mulholland Drive yeah, right now right. having dinner. And uh, you know, I'm kind of it right now if you want to buy a ticket on 47th Street. But, um, every but, but production is, uh, every, every job is a challenge. But when you did it, you weren't, Conscious of ghosts and things like that. You just, no, no, no. You don't I think mean, I grew right. up watching a Bogart, you know, and uh, I mean, Bogart uh, is, can't uh, compare anyone to Bogart. And so I just knew it was going to be something different. And, and Bob, who told me, I scared him in it because he gave me all of this space and I'm painting a picture. And um, so. And when, when we tested Nina Van Pallant, I didn't see her in it. I thought it would, it would have been someone a bit younger, but I knew Altman knows what he wants. So I got my wardrobe when we did the screen test for Nina Van Pallant. You know, a mismatched uh, jacket and pants and a tie, which was my statement, because when I go into the water, into the ocean, I nearly drowned that night. I have a little American flags on it, which you can't even see. And I keep my shoes are on, my ja everything's on, and I just take the tie off to give to her, which was my message to <laughs> outer space. We're America, you know. So when you do California Split, are you like researching? Oh, research no, person? that was semi-autobiographical. And we thought that uh, Steve McQueen was going to play that part. Uh, and uh, in the picture, uh, the character that George Siegel plays was me. And I played the character of the writer who played the bookmaker in it, Joseph Walsh, who was a child star. Uh, so I had that experience. I knew about gambling. How? I gambled. No, no. <laughs> How? <laughs> well, uh, on the, on the you're a sports nut. You like sports. Yeah, you're yeah. a sports nut. That's yeah, yeah. Term. So I'd have an opinion, and right. they, you know, it was uh, being somewhat obsessively compulsive, you know, with uh, baseball, football, basketball, not hockey so much, but at a certain point, anything. And I played cards, and I don't do that anymore. No. Once I got through the oceans thing, I realized as much as I love to win, I hate losing more. And there's nothing I need that I can win. I've got to make it for myself. And then I realized, I thought, well, but sometimes I'll pay to play. But even now, I'd rather read a book. I'd rather give the family, give the kids the money. I don't want to uh, uh, gamble. I, was there a white-hot period for you, though? An intense period where you did a lot of gambling? Well, a big game. There was a big game, which was when Alan the Horse Amici uh, uh, went over to beat uh, the Giants, uh, right. the Baltimore Colts. Yeah. And that game that was a, a three-and-a-half-point spread. So if they just kick the field goal, we lose, because we're uh, laying the three and a half points. And uh, Carol Rosenblum, who was uh, the owner, uh, and, and he then owned, I think, the Rams. And that was very big, Walsh and I, I that was in the late 50s. In the late 50s, yeah, yeah that was terrible. 
terrible. Just terrible. I don't want to gamble. I don't want anyone to gamble. Some, you've got to have an open mind to take a chance sometimes. I don't want to gamble. When asked if he had a drug problem, on a late-night talk show in 1988, Elliot Gould answered that he didn't. He had a problem with reality. Coming up, Gould on his relationship with Alfred Hitchcock. Explore the Here's the Thing archives. I talk with Michael Douglas about what makes a great director. For Douglas, Adrian Lyne was one of the best. I remember, you know, when Glenn and I, when we were doing Fatal Attraction and we had the scene in the kitchen, well, the first time when we were kind of going at it, we got her up on the kitchen sink. And so we did a, a take on that and, and said, well, that was, that was wonderful, love, that was just great. What could we do? I think, uh, and Glenn said, well, maybe I can take the water and I can stick my wet fingers in his mouth. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Take a listen at heresthething.org. Mom met a lot of your demands over the years. This Mother's Day, get her the Bartesian cocktail maker that makes premium cocktails on demand. In just 30 seconds, have your choice of over 60 premium or seasonal cocktails, all at the touch of a button. Get $50 off on the Bartesian cocktail maker now when you buy one pack of cocktail capsules. So, for all the times you made a mess, get Mom the countertop cocktail system that makes premium cocktails without making any mess at all. For all the times you begged for soda, get her premium cocktail capsules made with real fruit juice and craft bitters. For all the times you demanded tacos for dinner, get her the Bartesian that mixes margaritas in just 30 seconds. Make Mom's Mother's Day and all the 364 days that aren't Mother's Day with a Bartesian cocktail maker at $50 off. Visit B-A-R-T-E-S-I-A-N.com backslash mother now to get $50 off the Bartesian premium cocktail maker. Bartesian, premium cocktails on demand. Nobody wants to outlive their money, but it happens, especially for women. That's why Gainbridge offers the Parity Flex annuity. It's designed for women's unique retirement needs with flexible withdrawals to help cover unexpected expenses, plus a guaranteed lifetime income benefit that keeps paying you even if your account balance is zero. In other words, it's like getting a paycheck for life. We'll say that again. A paycheck for life. Guaranteed. Sounds too good to be true? It's not. It's the Parity Flex annuity. And it's one more example of their commitment to creating a better financial future for women. One where they feel empowered, not excluded, and ready to take on whatever their next chapter holds. Gainbridge believes financial flexibility and security are things we all could use more of. At Retirement Income You Can't Outlive is the ultimate flex. Who's with us? Start saving now at Gainbridge.io. Please visit Gainbridge.io slash ParityFlex for current rates, for product disclosures and disclaimers, and other important information. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Elliot Gould was the first American actor to work with legendary director Ingmar Bergman. Gould was fresh off the movie MASH when Bergman approached him to work on The Touch. Gould considers the film a masterpiece. Bergman sent me the script, scared the hell out of me. It made Bob and Carol and Ted Nallis look like Abbott and Costello to me. And... Uh, <laughs> 
and, and so then I thought, I can't say no to Ingmar Bergman, have him call me in the West Village, 58 Morton Street. And uh, so he called me. No, no, little brother, he said. I said, and my hair stood up. And I thought, okay, I mean, I, I can be rather impulsive. I said, I can trust me with him and him with me. And so I said, okay. And I came across. And uh, the first thing he said to me when I came down the elevator at the Diplomat Hotel in Stockholm, he said, my father taught me to always be a little bit early. And so we went through everything. He had an office in the theater, met B.B. Anderson and Max von Sydow. And then I went away for a while uh, to uh, Sorrento and to Paris. And in Paris, uh, uh, Sam Peckinpah wanted me to do Straw Dogs, and I, I wasn't going to be able to do it. And, but he called me in Paris while I was uh, getting ready to come back to Sweden to work with Ingmar. And Sam said to me, Elliot, you do read between the lines, don't you? And I said, Sam, I live between the lines. And until such time as I understand the lines, it's way too terrifying for me to think where I live. Now, A.B., I'm, now that I'm getting it, I mean, I can see, oh, there are boundaries. There are limits, because in the second week of principal photography on The Touch, which I thought could be about Larry Bird, or it could be about somebody who could deal cards, uh, I thought... Or a uh, psychic. Yeah. yeah. He said, uh, you've gone beyond your limits, and you'll have to live more to understand what you've done. And at that moment, I was secure in playing him. I play him in it. Uh, and... Uh, but I had no confidence in me, and I didn't know any limits, and I couldn't say, stop everything. I couldn't, so I had to go further. Now I come back to America, and I'm resuming, resuming my producing career, because it appeared that I had a very, a rather fertile career as a producer. I had already produced Little Murders. We had several uh, uh, pictures that were there, but I didn't know who I was dealing with and what I was dealing with. I had to find out. I had to find out. I went all in and uh, I had to pay everything off. But I didn't lose this, I didn't lose uh, my soul, and I'm here, and I'm grateful to, to everyone uh, uh, for validating my work. I've done a, a lot of films, some are better and some aren't, but I could look at anyone and everyone I've ever been in and find a reason for participating uh, since I'm still working. And that's the key to continue to work. Who was someone acting-wise? I mean, you, you work with great directors and great <clears throat> film actors. Who was someone that, would, before you started doing the film, you were really excited to make a film with? Like, you just oh, oh. got him, so. I, I don't know if I knew anyone uh, that I had participated in a film, first film. I mean, I knew Bert Lahr from uh, The Cowardly Lion, and he was a great, wonderful actor. And then uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, you say about Natalie Wood and, and, and that Bob Cope, that night, it was the night, one of the nights that uh, Richard Nixon defeated Hubert Humphrey, which was terrible, not very happy for many of us. Uh, and then uh, with uh, MASH, I didn't know anyone. And then there was getting straight. I didn't know anyone. I've met people and developed relationships through the, uh, through the work. And I mean, I, I, I do love us, you know. I mean, each one, no one is, is more important. The least of us, the least of craft services, the least of us, the guy at the door. It's an all team uh, effort, you know. Um, you uh, um, have done some television in the last several years. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows you did uh, uh, Friends. Friends yeah. Did you enjoy doing that? Yes. Yeah. 
And uh, I, I did an episode of Friends. I was, it was terrifying to me. Oh, my God. Yeah, it was but the reason, the, the main reason I did it is because A. Burroughs directed me in my second show, which was Say Darling. And he had directed the original uh, production of Guys and Dolls that my parents took me to see. And Jim Burroughs, who was the uh, top director, sure. uh, he was directing it. And I was told, because there wasn't much for me in it, that Jim Bur Burroughs would kill them if they couldn't deliver me. And, and so uh, I did it. And then they did some writing for me, and it's a very, very happy experience. Yeah. Um, we are going to take some questions, because uh, I know we do have some uh, time limits, and I can't see very well, so if I don't call on you, get over it. Um, <clears throat> we're going to go with this gentleman back here, right, we, right there. Yeah, wave your hand. That's you. Yeah, here we go. Did you ever consider doing anything else besides acting? When I was brought to song and dance school at the age of about nine, eight or nine, that Freddie, who was the tap teacher, uh, said, you know, what do you want to do? And I thought, I mean, what, what can I say? To be a fireman? I don't think so. To be a cowboy? No, that sounds weird. To uh, blow a, a, a trumpet and have the walls come tumbling down, a little esoteric. I don't know what to be or what to do. I mean, I like to play soldier. I, I like to be law enforcement. Jack Webb once asked me if I would be the new law enforcement person at Universal who was going to produce me, which was interesting. I liked talking with him, but I never could make a deal. Uh, this woman right here in the third, fourth row. If you're in the back, wave your hands so I can see you. I see you in the back there. Go ahead, go, go ahead ma'am. I was wondering um, what character did you personally relate to the most? That I personally what? What character did you relate to the most? Uh, well, the work I, I relate uh, to, uh, to just about every character. As I told you with, uh, with M.A.S.H., that, that was the most popular thing that, that I've ever done. Getting straight was really interesting. And when I uh, fell out uh, uh, industry-wise, which maybe we'll talk about at another time off, uh, off of it, uh, I was really pleased that two of my students in it, because I played a teacher, uh, two of my students in it were uh, uh, Harrison Ford and Candace Bergen, which was uh, good for me, you know. That, and that was the picture on Time magazine. That uh, date of that uh, cover, there were two covers uh, in the world. The one in America here was the one that you saw in that film. The one in Canada and in, in uh, Europe was a photograph of Trapper John as, and just me, the man from MASH, which uh, I don't want to be too proud, uh, but my father was very proud. But I, uh, I find that a, a grain of pride is good for the heart, but no more than that, it's blinding. But uh, so a character that I might have a problem with uh, and that if a director or a writer wants me to help to interpret it, that's very interesting to me. But no matter what I play, I have this heart, I have uh, a brain left, some of it, and uh, I do believe in the soul, and so I bring my life to whatever I do. Uh, and what is a film you did that, uh, on a technical level or in terms of the, the role and kind of getting it the way you went, what was one of the toughest ones you did? What was a hard movie for you to make? Wow. The role. No, no, I, 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 yeah. I understand you. Uh, <clears throat> as a matter of fact... I don't mean they had no hot water at the hotel. I mean the role itself. Uh, 
No, no, no. I mean, it's uh, deeply personal. I have no uh, uh, secrets relative to that. Uh, I was friendly with uh, Casey Affleck during the Oceans movies, but I never connected with Ben. And, uh, and Matt, Matty, Matt Damon, said uh, Ben is the smartest person that he knows. And I said to uh, Matt and Clooney, I guess you, you haven't met all of us, you know. And uh, <laughs> because we're all one. And so uh, after seeing Argo, I'm really impressed with uh, Ben's work. I think he's really good. And so I thought I'll go to their party and see if I can have a moment with him. And I did. And uh, I told him uh, how impressed I am with, with uh, your, your work, your craft, your craft. And he, he was pleased. And then after a moment or two, he said, I have a question. Have you ever done anything in all of this that you were sorry you did afterwards? I said, really good question. I said, no. It would be so disloyal. There's so many people who are dependent on our work, and we do everything that we can to do the best. Sometimes it doesn't work, but I wouldn't be sorry about that. One of the great things is to be vulnerable. That, that's one of the things in life, to be vulnerable. What character was most difficult? Oh, my God. Working for Ingmar and playing his part, that wasn't so easy. But, oh, I'm so glad I can share this with you. There's a scene where my, the character, uh, David, I think, is lying outside of a church, Lying. He's not telling the truth to B.B. Anderson's character. And I uh, uh, had my eyes closed because he's, he's lying. And, and we broke for lunch and Ingmar came up to me and he said, I'll never mislead you. He said, I, I can't, I, I will never mislead you. I think that you have your eyes closed because you're afraid you can't give me what you think I want. He said, I, need you, I want your eyes open because even if there's nothing there, that's what the scene is about for me to see where I am, which is the best direction I've ever had. Mm. Isn't that good? Mm. That's fantastic. <clears throat> yeah. Go ahead. Oh, I, I did that this weekend to my assistant, the assistant director of the movie that I'm uh, participating in now, back east. Uh, and I said, do you know uh, the quiet man, John Ford? Uh, I sometimes have been... Uh, uh, dressed, I've had been dressed to go black tie, and if it's on, I can't leave. I can't leave. I mean, John Ford, John Ford, John Wayne in that, Maureen O'Hara, Barry Fitzgerald. It's one of the most romantic things you can ever see. And Spielberg used it in E.T. You know, he has it affecting all of us. Well, those movies that are like that, you know, I, I, it's funny. I use the exact same analogy. I say a good movie, you watch and you enjoy it. Uh, but you have to be in the mood for it sometimes. I said, a great movie puts you in the mood for the movie. Absolutely. I said, how many times was I sitting there? Nothing consequential, but I'd say to my wife, I'd say, oh, we need to go buy pillows today or something. We need new pillows or something. And I'd sit on my bed and my, you know, out of the shower, and the minute you see that marble swirling around in that cigar box, and it's the opening titles of To Kill a Mockingbird, I'm like, I'm not going anywhere. And I just start sobbing. And I'm crying at the titles. I mean, I'm crying at the marble. There's no, no, no one's on screen. No one said anything. And I want to tell you a little bit about Hitchcock, 
I spent real Tell us. Time. Tell, we're going to get to you. I promise you. Go ahead. So I, I was co-hosting an award show, uh, Primetime, on uh, NBC. We, we finished uh, the rehearsals, and management came to me and said, Alfred Hitchcock is here to claim his award. Uh, he's got some problems with his knees. Can he sit in your room? My room was closest to the stage. I said, well, naturally. I came back to my room, and there's Alfred Hitchcock. And I said to him, are you going to make another film? And he said to me, I'm toying with one now, he said. And then he leaned closer to me and he said, I said I'm toying with one now, but I don't know if the audience still wants my fantasy, to which I responded without a doubt. And then I started to write to him, and uh, I spent two amazing lunches with him uh, at Universal, where he sang to me, it won't be a stylish luncheon. I can't afford a munchin. He said, we'll be dining in my dining room, in my office, in my building at Universal. Now for you Hitchcock. got to just meet Hitchcock. I'll never forget Bob Bradford was doing quiz show and I got a message to him. The only reason you're with CAA, by the way, is because they can connect you with anyone in the world. <laughs> Not to get a job, by the way, but to talk to them on the phone. So I wanted to, to, to meet Redford, and, and, and a car pulls up to my apartment in New York, and a town car takes me out to New Jersey, and they're in Secaucus shooting quiz show. And I go out there, and the woman is there with the headset, gorgeous young woman, and there's a chair, and she goes... It's my chair, I sit down, and Bob is directing Rob Morrow or David Paymer, they're doing the scene, and Bob walks up and sees me, he's like, how you doing? He I'll be right with you. He directs the scene. They break for lunch. The girl goes, We're gonna, you're going to have lunch in Bob's trailer. You can have lunch in Bob's trailer, right this way, right this way. It's like Disneyland, everybody's very, very happy. <laughs> They're shooting a movie with Bob Redford. So we go, uh, they take me into the trailer, and Redford says, you're a vegetarian. And I said, you know, back then I was a strict vegetarian. And he opens up these, they, they, the woman serves us from these plastic containers and uh, these Tupperware, and we eat the thing. And Bob's like, how's this? And I was married to my ex-wife, he worked on The Natural with Kim. He said, how's Kim? Blah, 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 blah. small talk, small talk. Finally he goes, so what can I do for you? And of course, I'm not realizing, he thinks I'm there to ask him for money, for like a charity, maybe. And I looked at him, he goes, what can I do for you? I go, I want you to put me in a movie with you. <laughs> I want to be in a movie with you. And I think he was stunned that that's why I came all the way out to New Jersey to ask him. He was like, he was almost mortified, you know what I mean? And I learned that about the business, that you don't reach out to them, you wait for them to reach out to you. Um, we're gonna have time for a, cu a couple more. Go right ahead. Well, I mean, uh, is there anybody here uh, who doesn't have arthritis? <laughs> you know, and uh, so it would have to be more, th more than just a labor of love. It would have to be so comfortable. And when Ingmar came to visit me in L.A., we thought he'd be living uh, there for a while. Uh, you know, and uh, he said his uh, agent, he had to listen to his agent, Paul Conner. I said, well, I, I think of you living in the Pacific Palisades where Henry Miller lived, you know, not to live down here. It's too hot here. And he said, would you consider doing Chekhov? You're just right for Chekhov. I said, would you direct me? He said, yes. I said, well, I'll have to go away for, oh, six, seven months to learn it, to absorb it, because once you're in rehearsals, then it's a business. The clock is going like that. I'd need to, to absorb the text so I could integrate with the people, you know. Would I? 
I, I would want to keep an open mind, but it would have to be so much fun. Because then I'd want to do, I wouldn't want to give up a performance. This is what I, I really love about Al's commitment to theater, Pacino. He's really kept it up. I didn't. But uh, he once introduced himself to me at the bar at Downey's, you know, and we've played cards together. He's a much better with, actor uh, with than Larry. a card player. What? <laughs> That's what I hear. Uh, we are out of time, and I just want to finish by saying one thing. Interesting that you reference arthritis. Interesting that you reference that not all of us are uh, as young as we used to be, perhaps. But the interesting thing about you, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, is everything you are on screen, you still are today That's in sweet. every way. You. You're just as funny and interesting. Everything you have, you still have. It's amazing. Let's hear it. Come on. <clears throat> Elliot Gould, live at the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival from earlier this year. This is Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Here's the Thing. Hey guys, you know what this playground could use? A wine country, huh? A redwood forest would be cool. Ski slopes! Wait! Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender.